Welcome to the AODocs podcast. My name's Dave Jones and I'm VP of Marketing at AODocs and I'm your host for today's podcast. And in the podcast today, we're doing things slightly differently. We're going to actually play the audio from a recently recorded webinar entitled Keep Calm, Act Fast, Move Forward, where we put together a fantastic panel of information management professionals who we'll introduce you to in a few minutes to talk about COVID, the global pandemic that's obviously going on at the moment and causing carnage throughout the business world. And what we did within the webinar was discuss how technology has played a part in helping organizations deal with the disruption caused by COVID, but also how technology can play a role in moving forward and getting back to some sort of new normal. So sit back, relax, enjoy the webinar and enjoy the podcast. And thank you for joining us again on the AODOX podcast. And the first person on that panel is Alan Pell-Sharp, analyst and founder of Deep Analysis. Alan has over 25 years of experience in the IT industry, working with a wide variety of end user organizations like FedEx, the Mayo Clinic and Allstate, and vendors from Oracle and IBM to startups all around the world. His research and advisory work focuses on the enterprise use of blockchain and AI. And he's the author of Practical Artificial Intelligence and Enterprise Playbook. Alan was formerly a partner at The Real Story Group, consulting director at Indian services firm Wipro, research director at 451, and v VP for North America at industry analyst firm Ovum. He's regularly quoted in the press, including TechCrunch, TechTarget, Computer Weekly, and has appeared on the BBC, CNBC, and ABC, as an expert guest. Alan, welcome. Thanks very much, Dave. Happy to be here. Next up, Chris Walker created the Principles of Holistic Information Governance, or FIGS IMC for short, as a way to help organizations assess their true information management related needs. In addition to being the principal of FIGS IMC, Chris is one of Canada's most prolific writers and speakers on information governance and is an industry thought leader. Chris is internationally recognized as an information governance and management thought leader and visionary and is attested to by his speaking engagements in North America, Europe and Australia. Chris also provides guidance and advisory services to established and startup information management and governance software providers. Chris, welcome. Thank you, happy to be here. Steve Weissman is the InfoGov guy. He spent 25 plus years helping organizations better manage, leverage, and protect their business critical information. He is an internationally renowned consultant, instructor, and public speaker who is uniquely accessible for a thought leader in his experience and stature. Steve's also a member of the AIM Company of Fellows, excuse me, and was co-founder of the Information Coalition. Steve is now Senior Project Manager and Information Governance Expert at Valora Technologies. And prior to that, he spent more than a decade as the force behind the Holly Group Consultancy. Steve, welcome to the webinar. 
Thanks, Dave. It's really fun to be here. Excellent. And last but by no means least, Rich Lawers is Senior Consultant here at Airdocs. Rich is a legal and regulatory professional and has been in the information technology and management industry for over 20 years, serving in-house and consultative roles for Fortune 500 and AMLAW 100 firms. Rich is a member of Armour International and AIM International, the leading professional associations for the information management industry, and has earned the Certified Information Professional designation as certified by AIM. He speaks regularly on a variety of topics in information management at local and national levels. Rich, finally, welcome to you. Howdy. So before we get going into the real discussion, I just want to spend a few minutes setting the scene today. And I think it's fair to say that 2020 has brought new challenges to all of us with the COVID-19 virus changing the way that we all live and work potentially forever. Most of us are living in lockdown, working from home and wondering when life will go back to normal, whatever that normal might look like. But what have these unique circumstances meant for business? Well, put simply, organizations are being forced to adapt or die, and many are dying. We've seen numerous collapses of retailers, of travel firms and more. And there'll be even more to come, I'm sure, and I'm afraid to say. But for those that are surviving, the McKinsey Group have shared their views on how organizations can strategically view and plot not just survival, but success in this new world. And they do this by introducing us to five horizons of business. And we'll talk about these in detail with the panel in a few seconds, but I want to just cover them briefly here to, to set the scene for us to move forward. So horizon one looks at how to resolve the immediate issues and challenges faced by an organization, specifically in relation to customers, to technology and to partners. Horizon two looks at resilience or the ability to adapt finances and other aspects of the business to ensure that it can continue to function. And then horizon three starts to look forward starts to look at how a business can return to scale as the longer term picture becomes at least a little bit clearer. Horizon four and five look even further still, four focusing on looking at new ways to work or reimagining the next normal, as McKinsey call it, and then bringing us all back down to, to earth with a bump, Horizon five explores how regulation and competition practices will also need to adapt to that next normal too. So those are our five horizons for discussion today. That's our framework that we're working within. So let's, let's dive into things. And I want to begin by going around our panel and taking a quick stock check really of where their businesses and their customers are currently at. So Alan, if I can start with you, can you briefly describe what your business does? and how COVID has affected it, your clients, and you? Yeah, I mean, to do that quickly is going to be a challenge um, because it's just had so much of an impact. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we're an industry analyst firm, so basically, you know, um, we, we analyze uh, tech markets, see where they're going, um, you know, and advise people on what's hype and what's not. 
And I think in times of crisis, it's, it's, it's an odd thing, but you, on the one hand, it's, it's all craziness, right? But on the other hand, you have an opportunity and sometimes the best opportunity to recognize what's really important. And so, you know, the companies we've been working with, I have to say, with a couple of exceptions, they've, they've all been very, very busy, um, sort of much in uh, McKinsey terms, they're sort of reimagining and, and, and adjusting uh, to where things go. But I think um, if I take a step back, there's been a real fundamental shift underway the last few months, which, you know, would normally have taken you know, decades probably, but it's happened um, within a couple of months. I mean, we'll have to see if it sticks, but I think people are starting to change the way they think about the use of technology in business. Um, I think they're starting to appreciate its importance, but equally its lack of importance that we're over-reliant on certain things, but we spend way too much on certain types of technology that maybe don't deliver the value we thought they did because now they're not there, now we can't access them, now we can't use them, and we seem to be getting along just fine anyway. So um, I don't know if that really answers your question, Dave. It, it's, it's very high level. I mean, it's very shifting. As analysts, we're supposed to be able to predict the future. None of us could have predicted this. But um, the tech world moves on. It is adjusting. Um, and I think some new technologies are really going to come to light um, over the next year that maybe would have taken many years um, previously to, to really hit the mark. Thanks, Alan. That's a great way to start this off. And Steve, let's come to you next if we can do. Um, it's all craziness, uh, but very busy craziness. Uh, what, what are you seeing, Steve? Um, it's kind of all over the map, really, depending on the nature of, of the organization either that I've spoken with or, or that we have as clients. The kind of business that they're in, you know, many businesses, as you mentioned, Dave, are, are really struggling. Um, I think it's important to note, though, many of those are so directly tied to consumer sales. I was going to say retail sales, but it's more than that. You know, people can't get out. They can't buy things. So like many restaurants, I'm sure, are, are, are not coming back. Um, and that part really has very little relatively to do with technology. It's just a reflection of, of the times that we're living in. So I think it's important to keep in mind because the perspective check is critical as organizations look at what's going on and, and what the effects are on their businesses. It's important not to get sucked into the maelstrom of, oh, you know, teeth gnashing and hair pulling. Um, having said that, though, there is certainly opportunity. Um, we have a, a client right now that it, the initiative began well before our, our current circumstance, but it's casted in a, in a much more direct light in that um, we're working with them to help punch holes in their information silos. That's become more central as people have had to flee the office and work from home because gone is the ready opportunity to walk you know, down the hall or go upstairs to ask somebody, 
you have this access to this system. I'm looking for a particular piece of information. Can you help me find it? Um, now, stuck at home, it would be nice if they could find it themselves by searching across different repositories. So um, for me, it's validating because I've always loved the potential for metadata to be that connective tissue of sorts in a much less invasive way than programmatic connecting. So I expect to see more of that. Um, but mostly, I, you know, I'm concerned with the knee-jerk reaction, the emotional reaction to, you know, we're all going to die or we can't go outside or shame on you, you're not wearing a mask. Um, so, you know, it's funny too, I just have to say, I've decided um, I want to wear a Batman mask and cowl uh, when I go outside just to see what people's reactions are, which has nothing to do with anything except my feeble attempt to look at humor in what can be a very concerning circumstance. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Um, I'm looking forward to to pictures and images all over social media of, of <laughs> you and the Batman hat and cowl. Looking forward to it. Uh, Chris, let, let's come to you for a second. You're up in Canada. Um, is it all craziness and, and teeth gnashing and hair pulling up there? What are you what are you and your clients seeing? It, I mean, it, it is, right? But it, it, it's, I don't think it's any better or worse than anywhere else in the world. Um, and, and sort of, you know, over the last little while, I've been primarily working with two clients on two major projects. And, and, and one of them is, is um, they've basically shut down at this point because a, a lot of their clients, their end user clients, um, are just, you know, sort of, uh, you know, doing the whole turtle in the shell type of thing, and, and they don't know what they're doing, and they're being impacted, because many of them are public sectors, so they're being impacted by a whole bunch of other pressures and, and, and funding issues and, and, and unionization issues and things like that. So they're kind of, I think, while not completely dead in the water right now, but they're, they're, they're almost dead in the water, right? They're floating still face up, right? But one little wave, and they're going to go face down. Um, the other organization that I'm working for, I mean, we're an essential service. So, so in terms of, of, of impact to one of the major impacts that we've seen around here, if you look at, at some of the airlines letting go of staff, I mean, we had, you know, one of our airlines based here in Calgary is down to 25% of staffing levels that they were back in February and early March. Um, so fortunately, the, the client I'm working with, we're not in that position, but there was basically that whole, you know, Saturday evening, get an email. Yeah, nobody come to work on Monday. Everybody worked from home, right? So we had some people who, who knew the potential of that was coming. So they were kind of prepared by taking their laptops home on a daily basis type of thing and, and things like that and, and getting ready to do that work from home. And what I'm seeing, in there, within the first week or two, I think we settled things down, you know, a lot of help desk tickets because, you know, how do I get VPN to work? How do I do this? How do I do that? Um, you know, I need an extra monitor, those types of things, like just the, getting the logistics and the, that physical environment where you're able to work from home. Um, but but I'm seeing what's, what's happening more is, Steve brought it up, is that social interaction or that, that being able to turn to somebody at the neighboring desk or walk down the hall and say, how do I do this? Where do I find that? Those kinds of things. And, and, and even 
um, you know, just some of the people in my group are, they're just, they're used to being able to turn to somebody for some expertise or something. Now it's a little bit, oh, I've got to go on Skype or I've got to go on Teams or I've got to make a phone call and stuff like that. So it's that, so that instantaneous um, social, social slash asking for help interaction, which, which they're missing. Um, and, and, and it's, you know, and, and as much as I'm used to working from home over the last 20 years, I kind of miss that too as well, right? Being able to get up and walk down the hallway or go outside, those types of things, right? Um, so that's kind of, that's what I'm seeing in, in, a, in a broader sense um, throughout sort of like the city and the province, just to address something that Steve brought up around the retailers and the restaurants. Um, one of the growing burgeoning industries in Calgary is, is uh, craft breweries and Within a week, I think, we saw all these guys setting up these square sites online to be able to do online ordering and delivery and stuff like that. So they've made this, they're, they're smaller organizations, so it's easy for them to pivot. Um, some of them are going to disappear, sadly. Uh, and I've seen that already with some, some sort of hospitality places. But I'm seeing that that tech for the smaller guys, and smaller organizations, is really helping them out now. All right, so, so I... I have hope for the future. Good stuff. Um, and Rich, let's come to you for a second. We've heard from the analyst perspective. We heard, we've heard from the consulting side of things. Um, you're with AODOX. We're obviously a software vendor. How, how, are, how are the clients that you're talking to and dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis uh, reacting to this? You know, one of the things that I'm noticing is that, you know, to use your horizons analogy from the opening customers are starting to look in other directions other than just straightforward in the you know business objectives that they had yesterday they're kind of looking for things like recovering some productivity or being able to enable some collaboration that that they really didn't hold nearly top as mind top of mind as they did as they do now and also i think that in in looking at you know, in other directions, they're also starting to realize that they can enable new new things, right? And do things not only cheaper, faster, and better, but also be able to do things that they haven't done before. You know, I, I like Chris's analogy of suddenly, you know, a, a craft brewer is, you know, selling online or even better, a local one here near me suddenly was producing hand sanitizer using the exact same tools that they had to be able to produce uh, spirits with. It was, you know, the, the transformation on some of these smaller uh, companies has been to leverage what they can do and, and try to do more or try to do something differently. I think that's, that's a really astute observation uh, that this sort of comes through from all of you. And why I'd love to talk for the next hour on craft breweries, it's, it's one of my favorite topics. I'm going to pivot back to Alan. Um, Alan, with regards to which horizon organizations are finding themselves on, are you seeing that larger organizations or smaller organizations, is there any, any sort of rule of thumb, any any trend that you're seeing in terms of where those type or size of organizations are falling in terms of horizons? Oh, I, I'm sure there's a there's an accurate answer to that, but I, I think it's probably too early to give it. But what I can say is that certainly it's been interesting. Um, larger organizations that, that we've talked to and that we work with, um, 
they've interestingly sort of gone a bit more into lockdown mode. And I think that's partly because they know they can survive this. So let's just batten down the hatches. Um, smaller, mid-sized firms, um, there's more urgency. You know, they have to do something. It's not really an option, is it? Um, so I, I think you've got that. But I think what's equally interesting, and as, as certainly as industry analysts, we, we, we often ignore it, it's at the government level. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, I won't get into specifics here unless you want me to, but um, at a government level, there's lots of things going on which were sort of um, papers, if you like, white papers saying, you know, we should do this, you know, we should really look into this. Da, da, da. And they've really, or some of them at least, have taken a sort of lurch forward to, to recognizing that, yeah, we've got to get beyond talking here. We've got to start doing something. Um, you know, if you think about all of the issues, I'm talking from the US, despite the English accent, um, we have major issues in the US regarding connectivity, right? Be that cell phone, be that um, broadband or whatever. There's a lot of areas in this country that either don't have it or, or you know, have very, very poor quality service. Um, that's been put into the spotlight that, um, I mean, it's been there for, for decades, but uh, now suddenly it's being um, focused on as, as actually a real problem that we've, we've, we've got to deal with. Um, you're seeing trading networks that were sort of moving ahead with some kind of automation and blockchain. I mean, blockchain's a great example of, it's a great idea, we should maybe do something about it, to suddenly people saying, whoa, we better get started now. So um, I think there's things happening at sort of a geopolitical government level, which we're going to see the ramifications for moving forward. But um, the simple answer is the smaller the company, the more, the more urgent the situation is. So they're the ones sort of looking at it uh, in the short term, I think, as we've got to fix something today. Hey, Alan, this is Rich. Do you think that that urgency is also becoming the spark for, for innovation? Yes, but it, that's it's a really good question. Um, um, I mean, the thing is, I think that word innovation is is so abused, um, and it, it's 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 a word that we've sort of all latched onto. I mean, just as guilty as anyone. It's sort of the catchphrase of Silicon Valley, right? We've got to innovate. We've got to innovate. We've got to innovate. But I think there's a shift, and and again, maybe I'm just being overly optimistic here. But innovation typically can be defined um, certainly in, in tech terms as faster, quicker, cheaper, right? I can do this faster, I can do it quicker, I can do it cheaper, I can use less people. I think there's a little bit of a shift going on where people are starting to say, yes, but how can I do it better? And that's fundamentally different. It's not necessarily faster, quicker, cheaper. Um, how do I do it better? How do I interact better with my partners, with my customers, with my supply chain? How do I ensure resiliency for the future? So short-term fixes, which is what we've all always been focused on, I think there's a, a shift underway where, you know what, maybe I need to do this a little slower, a little bit more expensively, but do it better. Better for me, better for everybody else. So um, a different shift in terms of how we're thinking about innovation. Again, I'm just being open. 
who knows when this shifts? I mean, we've got information governance experts on this call, um, and uh, everybody knows that every time there's some huge breach, there's some huge problem, there's some huge scandal, everybody starts throwing money at the problem. And then a year later, everybody's forgotten about the problem. So who knows? Um, you know, we might go back to our old way of thinking fairly quickly. But at the moment, I think people are thinking about how do we do things better in the future, as opposed to just, you know, faster, quicker, cheaper. Great answer and uh, great question, Rich, there as well. Now, Chris, I want to bring you into this conversation uh, and talk about how technology is impacting these horizons. We, we've heard from Alan that some companies are throwing money at it. Some of the larger companies are, are looking to ride this out. But I think it was you that talked earlier on about the need to get things up and running quickly. And how has technology helped people do that? How has technology maybe hindered people doing that? Okay. Um, on a broader scale, or of a very broad scale, I don't know that technology in, in larger organizations has that much to do with the sudden change. I mean, a lot of us, whether it's as consultants or we're working on managing projects at larger organizations, things like that, and going back to, to where I am right now, we're all walking around with laptops and, and, and some of us tablets and, and those types of things. So very few people walking around with or, or having to work with desktops and things like that. So we were pretty well prepared to to just sort of jump and then jump into your kitchen, your bedroom, your living room, whatever, your basement, and, and pretty much start working right away. Um, where I think that the technology comes in is is more can it be adapted i think for the longer term to to continue to let people to to truly work from home in a non-pandemic non um sort of lockdown mode is the technology or our, our decision makers at the end of the executive suite going to look it's like hey We've had these tools in place. We've gone through this period, this lockdown period where everybody's working from home. The sky didn't fall on top of us. Maybe we give people back some time in their day. Um, you know, don't stress them out by having to commute an hour each way back and forth to work where you get to the office and you're already stressed from whatever. Um, but sort of, it's not new technology, but it's, it's leveraging it perhaps in a different way and being innovative as, as Alan was talking about um, but not better cheap or not uh, cheaper, faster, whatever. But how does work change, right? Whether whether it's you know somebody like in my role who's doing information management, information governance stuff, where it doesn't matter that I'm not in the office, I'm still being productive, still getting the job done. I'm probably putting more hours in on a daily basis because I'm using that time where I'd normally be commuting. Um, for smaller businesses. Uh, through the retailers and and, and um, the hospitality and, and and those types of industries, that's what I'm seeing again. As I said before, they're jumping onto these. You know, they're they're putting e-commerce onto their websites right away. Those types of things. So so it's not new. I don't see any new technology right now. I see where potentially 
we're gonna go is is have a different view of the technology that exists. Right. I think what'll happen is you start seeing more and more organizations going forward, and it'll take a while, is, is they won't be so scared of, of putting their data centers in the cloud and things like that. Right. I mean, and this is we've all all of us on this panel have heard this argument, well, we can't put it there because we're scared about breaches and everything else, which is, is a general is a general fear. Um, but again, I, I, I think the providers are getting better and better at it. And I think that fear is less and less founded going forward. Interesting comments there, Chris. And I want to raise one thing that you said. You said that you think we were actually pretty well prepared from a technology perspective. I want to push that out to the audience and, and ask people to to chat us, send in, send us in a question, just, just telling us how well prepared their organizations were. And I then want to throw that over to Steve and say, Steve, from a from a governance perspective, from a process perspective, uh, were we prepared for this? Do, do I have to pronounce it process in order to stay on this panel? I guess I probably do. From you can call it process <laughs> if you have to go for it. <laughs> process. Um, well, you know, it's funny listening to, to Chris speak. I realized in in my head, um, I think. Sorry, it's not like I haven't had time to think where the beginning of the thought is. I think to a great degree, technology has improved to a point where it's begun or continues to mask process issues because things just happen so quickly, uh, especially at larger organizations that have tremendous bandwidth, you know, internally and connections to the outside world. Now that that sort of office-centered model has been disrupted, at least to my observation, what we're finding is you have to work harder to get stuff done because it's taking longer to connect or, or you're trying to download something or upload something and people need it in a hurry and you just can't. So it then becomes, well, okay, if we can't, in that sense, just throw more technology at it, at least not in the short term, because of cost and budgets and all that internal politics and all that fun stuff, how can we work smarter? I guess it, it, it harkens back to Alan's thought. I'll blame him for having triggered this in my own head. How, how can we work better? How can we work smarter? How can we work better together as much from um certainly from a business process standpoint, um, but from an organizational culture standpoint as well. You know, it's certainly helpful if you already have a relationship with people that you now can't visit in the office or clients you can't travel to go see. But I'm finding it is taking a little more in the way of mental gymnastics to approach these issues where they're new relationships. You know, if you're in sales, that's that's very often sort of a, a cold approach, but it's become more challenging here. Let me send you something because for all you know, you're talking to someone where bandwidth is an issue. You know, they have 14 children at home who all want to stream movies and play video games. And now I have to upload this big PDF file. It's going to take a while. So I'm finding it, I'm realizing a, a good opportunity to rethink how we're doing things which is a separate but connected issue to that of technology, which in my mind would be the enabler. 
That might have been English. <laughs> no, that, that worked for me, and I really appreciate you pronouncing process correctly in the middle of that um, that answer. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. It, it's Rich, Alan here. Just, can I just oh, just chip in for something? Please, really please do. Um, so I, I think you know something I've been very very guilty of throughout my career as, as an analyst is buying into the Silicon Valley mindset that you know everybody has a laptop. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody has a, an iPad or whatever. Just the other week, um, I was doing some um, research looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So nobody is to take this as scientific or anything. This is just you know me scribbling around and doing some background research. But you know, depending on how you cut the numbers, it's it's really interesting to note that at least half if not two thirds of the US workforce doesn't work from an office and couldn't work from an office. Uh, and, I, and I think if there's one thing in this pandemic that, that's happened is that we've started to recognize that, you know, there's a big world out there that technology hasn't really always addressed. And a lot of the innovation, to use that word again, hasn't bothered about. And so as we move forward, I think embracing the reality of the world that not everybody's in an office, um, you know, real work is done outside in the supply chain, in healthcare, in, in, in whatever, right? Keeping the roads fixed. And uh, I, I, think, um, I think we just need to change our thinking. I think we need to think a little bit more broadly and, uh, and I'll shut up at that, but that's just my little uh, soapbox moment for the morning. No, that's great. Thank you, Alan. And I, I think trying to tie a number of these different points together. Rich, I know one of the, the, the phrases that you like to talk about a little bit is that proximity was a crutch and well, yeah. that organizations uh, are struggling without that. So do you want to talk about that for a little while? Well, I, I think that in the absence of, of you know, Chris's comments and Steve's comments on, on better or good processes, that that proximity was used as a crutch and that now in the absence of that proximity organizations are really finding that they need to be better at either using the information that they had available before or really improving uh the the you know processes or measurements that they had you know uh, one of the good examples that i had is a, is a is a customer suddenly asking how they could make information that was uh vitally important for them to to continue business process but it was physical was in was in a, in a physical location and uh and they you know they asked you know how, how could we make sure we get the right one you know right records and you know electronically and i said well you know the ones that are marked as vital records and they're like what do you mean i said well you have a process already for evaluating documents that are necessary or critical to your business. You use them that that classification for your disaster recovery and your business continuity plans. It's the same thing now for for remote connectivity. Take a look at your business vital records, understand how how you used to call them or what you used to call them before, and and figure out how you can now you know make them easily accessible and maybe consider that accessibility requirement you had for for proximity now an electronic solution. You know that that that's that's come up, I think, and and I, you know, I, I think that's where many organizations are going. Really try to figure out again what are the things that are important and how they can do them better. 
Great point. And I'm going to try and weave in some of the questions that are coming in from the audience at the same time. And th this is more of a statement. But Chris, I'm going to push this to you afterwards, because I know you have um, some pretty strong views on it. And the statement that came in was, I believe that technology has advanced. I believe a lot of organizations have that technology available to them, and many quickly implemented it. Um, however, the suboptimal implementation of the technology means that governance has not been implemented and there will be years of remediation coming. Chris, you want to take, uh, take a pass commenting long, back on that? How long do I have? <laughs> you got about three, four minutes, go for it. Okay, perfect. Um, so, so let's address the governance question first. And this is obviously ideal world scenario. And, and this is something that I've done in my consulting practice for many, many years. Um, and, and it's bake in the necessary and the required amount of governance into your business solution and into your business processes right away. And, and, and whether that's by sending off, quote unquote, a copy somewhere into some hidden secret location that nobody can destroy afterwards, which actually, by the way, I actually hate that because that destroys the whole single source of truth thing um, but even if it's something as simple as tagging content with an appropriate um, with appropriate metadata that allows you to come back to it afterwards because to use that phrase suboptimal we're doing suboptimal suboptimal implementations right now and and everyone that I've been involved with has been suboptimal because they've not been information governance implementations that have been implementations to solve a business problem Right. But that doesn't mean that you can't bake that into the solutions right away. And I get to that other point. Yeah, we've got the technology has developed. Absolutely, it has. We all know that the processes, the processes have not developed. And that's the problem, right, it is, is that we're still doing we're, we're making twice the mistakes in half the time, if you will, type of thing. Right. It doesn't it, it doesn't matter if I have a Ferrari. Um, and I can drive it as fast as I want. If I end up in the wrong destination, then I've just screwed myself. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, it's we have to work on the business processes and 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 you know, sending documents around via email or or links. If I have to link to a SharePoint site and then I print out a document for a wet signature, I mean, what the hell does that do? It doesn't it? It doesn't help me in anything. It doesn't help me to execute my business right and business activities. So, so I think it's time for a rethink on a lot of these processes, and it's really looking at some of the activities and, and even some of the governance stuff. It's like how much governance is too much governance, right? Do I do I apply the same amount of governance to my critical business um, content as I do in stuff that's under regular that could be under regulatory review or subject to legal hold? That I apply it to to sort of my everyday, you know menus in the cafeteria type of thing right so that so so it's a matter of it, it's don't paint everything with the same broad brush it doesn't work and it, it's and and typically the work won't get done right and, and the governance will not get done and, and you're not going to um, address your business issues and your business problems so i would say use the technology use this opportunity as we're looking around figure out what's critical not just in terms of your information but what are critical business activities that are supported by that information and and where you can get rid of some of the steps in there right don't require wet signatures anymore implement e-signing and, and digital certificates for things so it's those types of things and they're small they're they're not huge effort 
and they're not huge things and in, in, in huge um, undertakings, but they can, going forward, provide huge uh, ROI. Thanks, Chris. I'm tempted to ask Steve how much governance is too much governance, but I don't think we have the time for the answer. Instead, Steve, I'm going to ask you something slightly different. Um, let's pose this question. Uh, given that we've had about 10 years worth of technology change in a matter of weeks, how do we govern that? Uh, at the risk of sounding overly simplistic, we govern them the way we have always have always governed them <laughs> and now i'm like stopping myself because generally speaking over the last batch of years decades we haven't done a particularly good job overall of governing anything um so we don't want to do it the way we've been doing it we want to do it better um and embedded in there somewhere is this notion that Governance is a business practice. It's 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 not a technology. It's a mindset. Um, the technology has certainly advanced and advanced to the point where it's a tremendous enabler, and it can keep track of things far better track of things, in fact, than than that we can as human beings. Um, set up properly, you know, we we can keep track of documents. And are they in compliance and should they be disposed of and all that happy stuff? Uh, literally on a global basis, literally irrespective of repository. I mean, the, the tools are there to do all of that. But if you don't have policies that demand it and you don't have uh, processes, processes, and how how come Chris gets to say process? He's Canadian and I know a lot of Canadians that say process. Anyway, um, if you don't have those, first then it really doesn't matter how great the capabilities of the technology um are because they're just sort of out there certainly underutilized if not unutilized and that's always driven me crazy i mean i've got 25 plus years in as a consultant i mean i'm still doing consulting just with Valora now um and a lot of times you ask the question oh yeah you did that big initiative last year how'd it go and you get answers like well it was okay, it didn't really, and you peel back the layers and you realize it's because they didn't do the thinking up front. They had bought into the notion that technology is some sort of a magic pill that you swallow, um, sometimes a bitter one, and that's it. And it, gee, imagine, it, it didn't fulfill all my dreams. Well, duh. <laughs> what was the question? I, I, love, I love the jump that we're gonna make now. We've just gone from duh um to and i have to say we have a fantastic panel today but we also have a fantastic audience one of the questions that's just or statements that's just come in from from the audience is going straight from steve saying duh to saying eventually it boils down to what charles darwin said it's not the strongest of the species that survives nor the most intelligent it's the one that's most adaptable to change so Can from I duh to charles to darwin say i have used that quote that slide for a very long time and so kudos to the audience member who brings that up because i think that's far more salient to this conversation so Complete sorry to interrupt kudos. but i had to go yeah <laughs> not a problem and i want to bring rich in at this point um given the charles darwin quote which i think is fantastic 
um, adapting to new change. Rich, what does a new normal look like in this sort of space? <laughs> Just nice, gentle, you know, easy, well-scoped question for you. You know, I, I think the new normal, again, to use your, your horizons opening, right, is to continue to look, you know, different in a different direction other than just forward you know i think organizations were really focused in on speed and and doing their 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 you know stated goals as fast as possible and now really you know to to leverage that quote it's really uh how how flexible am i how adaptable am i are these are these processes that i'm creating resilient you know to the earlier part of the conversation and can they carry me forward or can they carry me you know slightly to the left or slightly to the right or can they carry me in a completely different direction than i was before and you know do they do they still enable me you know if, if suddenly my priorities have changed or if the complete direction of my organization has changed and i think that's where you know uh, you know the technology is there to enable organizations that type of flexibility and to and to really do the things that they want to do today, but to be able to do co something completely different with that same technology stack, you know, tomorrow. I think that that, that definitely is the new norm, and then that flexibility, you know, is going to be key in in any decision process as as uh, organizations decide to, you know, enable some of these, you know, newer technologies. Whether it be, you know, suddenly blockchain looks, you know, like it could flexibly provide provide something really valuable or whether it's you know something as simple as just you know video conferencing and suddenly it becoming you know much more acceptable than it was before absolutely makes sense and steve i want to give you a chance to answer that question as well given that um you use the charles darwin quote quite frequently and one other thing a phrase that you i've heard you use before is accelerated thinking how does that play into the new normal It'll sound goofy, but that won't surprise anybody who knows me. It, it, it popped into my head the other day. Uh, you know, you read stories occasionally about people who have head or brain trauma and wake up speaking in an accent or a foreign language that they previously that they didn't know. They couldn't do the accent, or or they had no study, no education in in the other in the other tongue. And I always found that kind of freaky, but in some ways, I think that's what the new normal is 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 going to parallel. Insofar as this whole pandemic and the lockdowns and the work from home orders, in an organizational way, I think is the equivalent of that knock in the head. It's it's suddenly caused the the whole entity to change direction you know see i can now speak french that's cool what can we do with that <laughs> gee we now have this infrastructure in place that allows us to, to to work better remotely um we have been forced to deploy better collaboration tools you, you know whatever it is these things may have been written down in in the in the future planning for years uh as things to take place not for many coming years and now all of a sudden it's on the table and it's an imperative for right now and gee it actually seems to be working reasonably well 
maybe we should just continue doing this. So we're now speaking a slightly different language than we were. It's present tense, not future tense. Have I mixed enough metaphors for you? <laughs> you have, and you've given me a fantastic segue uh, into, into our final topic for today, which is uh, how can we use this experience? How can we use that bang on the head and the fact that we can now talk French to help us reimagine the future? And I'm going to come to an analyst and a Canadian in that order to, to help us go through this. So, Alan, do you want to kick us off with this one? I'll try. Um, I, you know, I think uh, re rethinking, reimagining, they're good terms, but there's a term I prefer, and it's reframing. It's a NLP term, not uh, natural language processing, but the other form, uh, neurolinguistic programming. But uh, Reframe. I mean, it's basically, you know, we've got to look at the problems that we've we've always encountered and, and just say, you know, is, is there a better way of working? Um, I think so many companies, uh, I mean, yeah, my own and, and companies I've run in the past, after a few years, you sort of forget what your central mission was. You you know, you get uh, taken down so many uh, pathways, you, you forget why you're doing it. And, and this is a great opportunity, I think, to to rethink. Um, yeah, I'm pushing the blockchain thing a little bit today, but that's so fascinating. I mean, whether whether blockchain really delivers on its promise or not is a different topic. But you know, we've got we've got technologies out there. I'm just about to choke here. Uh, we've got technologies out there that are very advanced, but very few people are using them. Um, AI, we talk about it a lot. It's seldom ever used, and if it is used, it's used ineffectually. Um, blockchain has huge promise in trading networks and it's starting to happen but again it's been a lot of talk so I think the the opportunity here is um, to, to really look forward um, to, to reframe the way we work and the way we um, interact and at the same time to do some of that boring miserable stuff that nobody ever wants to do um, and sorry, guys, but that includes information governance. Um, you know, it's it's not fun, but it's got to be done. Um, I think it includes looking at legacy systems and really questioning why on earth we're still using them and paying for them. And is there a better way? I think it even involves things, you know, topics like even enterprise search, for goodness sake, you know, a topic that's been around forever in the technology world. Um, it's been around forever, but nobody actually likes it. It seldom ever works. Why? You know, what should we be doing differently? So I think it's a great opportunity for us to think differently and to, to fix some old problems. I'm not sure that's actually your question, but there we go. It's close enough. Let's, so let's see if enough. Chris has any different views. Chris, um, how, how do we reimagine this future based on where we are? You know what, I, I think the reimagining is it's not simply based on where we are today or even in a couple of weeks or a couple of months from now but i think it, it it's in large part dependent on who we are um reimagination for for the energy sector is not going to be the same thing as it is for the hospitality and tourism sector or for the airline and travel sector um you know it, it's just from my own and this is purely a personal perspective if in whatever time frame coming up i see and start hearing more and going back to the old way of you're not working unless your ass is in the seat at the office i'm going to be really really disappointed that some organizations did not grab this opportunity to say you know what that's a crap way of doing things and it's not necessary anymore we've proven over the last x number of months that the organization didn't fall in on our heads 
We can trust you all as adults and professionals and individuals to sit there, to be at home um, and, and in a true work from home, not in a, you know where it's it's you're working from home in a in, in a positive framework, right? Not because you're afraid to go down the hallway out the common areas of your apartment building, and because you're afraid somebody's going to cough on you and stuff like that. Um, but but it, it, it's changing that. So it's, so it is as Alan said, it is reframing. But it's I think it's reframing and reimagining. Um, the human element of, of how we work and why we work and where we work. And I think if, if you look at retailers, um, one of my favorite, uh, sorry, somebody made a funny comment. Um, one of my favorite retailers um, here in Calgary has just put a long, long list of, of restrictions and, and protocols for, for reopening because our government said, hey, we can start reopening and thinking about reopening in the next couple of weeks. And, and, and so from that point of view, where it's face-to-face um, -face service, very tactile in a, in a shop, if you know, you're, you're buying um, you know, shaving gear or kitchen knives or kitchenware and those types of things. So, so there's a whole bunch of reimagining and reframing, but it's different depending on the sector. And even within the same sector, you know, if you're a giant retailer, like, I'm just trying to think. I haven't been to a giant retailer in ages. Marks and Spencer's, I guess. Um, you know, that's going to be different than if you're a small, you know, independent retailer. So it, it's there, there's no one size fits all, I guess, is what I'm saying. Not everybody and not every organization is going to look at things the same way. Chris, I think that's a perfect way to uh, sum up what we what we've been talking about today. There's no one size fits all. That's a fantastic way to describe it. And I'm very conscious that we've got about five minutes left on the call. I'm going to come to each of you individually now before we wrap things up. Just to get, <laughs> I'm going to attempt to get you to give me a, a final thought, a single sentence that wraps up um, what we've talked about today and the one thing that you'd like our audience to take away with them. I'm going to go in reverse order. Uh, Rich, let's start with you. What, what's your final thought that you'd like people to take away with today? Well, the horizons analogy, right? You know, keep keep your keep your head on a pivot, right? Keep looking in other directions besides just forward, because there's lots of other opportunities that that are out there for for organizations not only to survive but also to 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 the point these my esteemed panelists said, you know, to do things better and add more value, not just do them, you know, faster or cheaper. Thank you very much, Rich. Steve, uh, final thought from you, and if you can put Darwin into the sentence, you get an extra point. Oh my goodness. Well, as Darwin never said, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Um, listening to all of this and having thought about it, obviously, in the lead up to this, I hope it's obvious. I was reminded of something that occurred when I first started my first consulting gig way back in the mid nineties. So the web was new. How do you use that? You know, I mean, goodness, I think Microsoft Word was new. How do you use that? Which is a question I still have. Um, I realized, I said to the woman that started the firm with me, I said, you know, we spend more time talking about work than we do actually doing work. <laughs> and I think it relates today because it's easy 
to spend a lot of time talking about how do we get the work done rather than what is it that we're trying to get accomplished? This is a good opportunity, I think, for organizations to, to take a momentary pause. Um, and some have, have had to, as, as I was describing earlier. We have to get this done, and now we have a very different environment. What is it we're trying to do, and why, and for whom? So, and I hope it's not my final thought forever, but for this call, it does bring me back to the bumper sticker I've been threatening to make for a long time too, which is have you need to have now more than ever a very thorough answer to what are the business problems we're trying to solve and for whom? And then we can start th thinking about what are the new tools and technologies that we need to bring in to enable that, or how can we better leverage the ones we have? It's It's got to start, whether it's a new direction or not, as, as, as Rich just mentioned, it's got to start with what are we trying to do? And then let's figure out how to get it done. Fantastic. Steve, the, the longest final thought in history. Thank you very much. Um, Chris, let's go a little bit shorter. Your final thought that you want people to take away with today. Jeez, I was just going to try and beat Steve. Um, no, you know, I, my, fi my final thought and, my, and, and I guess my hope through all of this, and, and this applies whether we're individuals, whether we're organizations, I don't care what industry, I don't care what size, is that I really hope that we're taking this globally and as communities and societies, I think, I hope we're taking this as an opportunity to learn and, and, and coming out of it, figure out how do we be better? And, and, and I just mean that on however you want to use that word better. How do we be better? How do we be better neighbors? And how do we be better friends and family members? And how do we be better colleagues? Um, how do we as businesses treat other businesses? How do we really, how do we become a better society through it? I mean, we're, we've got this opportunity and I'm going to be mightily disappointed if we screw it up. That's short. There. There we go. Um, <laughs> Uh, that that's a parting gift for us all. And um, to close us off with these final thoughts, Alan Paul Sharp. Well, very quickly, um, I trained as an analytical psychotherapist before I became an industry psychotherapist, which is what it seems to be sometimes. But there's a great quote by the great Simon Cowell. If you've got distractions in front of you, your mind goes nuts. Um, but as any psychotherapist will tell you, in times of crisis, you also have moments of the most clarity the most clear moments you'll ever have in your life. And I think, you know, in the midst of this pandemic, we've got to grab those moments and we've got to really come out of this with an understanding of what's really important and uh, what's just a distraction. Alan Paul Sharp, Chris Walker, Steve Wiseman and Rich Lowers, thank you all so much. And with that, I'd like to say thank you very much for joining today. That's all we have time for. Uh, my name's been Dave Jones with AO Docs. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you all again soon.